Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? <sighs> all blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, we are live and rolling for the Thursday deep dive. I'm here as always. Well, my name is Brett Schaefer, and I'm here as always with Ian Gray and Ryan Henderson. Ian is remote. He is on Zoom. So how's it down in the Southwest? Are you you're in classes at LMU now, right? But you're still in Phoenix. How's, how's that? Yep, going? that's exactly right. Staying busy with uh, lots of fun classes this semester and, and trying to watch my fair share of sports too. We're in a yeah. uh, sports heaven right now between college football pro football playoffs and multiple sports going on good golf tournaments tennis tournaments you know evaluation it. premium yeah right i think covid is starting to become almost an asset if you get covid early as an athlete that means you're for sure in for the rest of the season so maybe we're going to see that we saw that with cam newton that's true that's true i, I think know. that could be like a huge asset moving forward yeah i'll have to the valuations on fantasy teams are going to move accordingly we'll see if the markets efficiently <laughs> uh but we're not talking sports. Uh, we're talking Fiverr. I'm going to get that right. I'll probably get it wrong at least once. It's Fiverr. It's an online services company. Ryan's going to talk about what they do and the history, and then we're going to get to the rest of the company and everything that goes with it. Yeah. Fiverr is an online marketplace for freelance services. So the goal of the company is essentially to streamline the process of hiring or getting hired as a freelancer. So you can view the site basically in one of two ways as a freelancer or as a buyer. So if I were an independent developer or a coder, I can go to Fiverr, I post my qualifications and a buyer would come in and essentially buy my services from me. So the buyer is the seller is the one that's posting their services. It sounds a little contradictory, but then the buyer comes in. It's like you're shopping in the store and then on all the racks, you have basically a bunch of freelance, diff different freelance services. So that's basically what you have. Um, there is example, if you need someone to build your website, I, as a buyer would go onto Fiverr, find someone that meets the needs. So let's say I was on WordPress. I could go in there. That's someone that's like a WordPress developer or something like that. Be like, mm -hmm. all right, I like what he's doing. I'll pay you to do it. It's, and then once you pay them, Fiverr takes their cut. So it's a pretty simple business model. It's really, they're really generating revenue in one way. I guess there's actually a second way, but we'll talk about that later in the show. Um, history though, Fiverr was started by Mika Kaufman and Shay Winninger. Yes. Did I get that right? I think so. They're from, well, I don't know if they're from Israel, but they're based in Israel. So I think they right. may be Middle Eastern names a bit there. Okay. And they were launched in 2010. So by 2012, Fiverr was hosting over 1.3 million gigs. And a gig is essentially just a job. Like 
you've done a service. Um, and in the first year, they received a $1 million angel investment. Kudos to that guy. And since then, they have received funding from Excel and Bessemer Venture Partners. Um, interesting note, in 2015, Amazon took legal action against a bunch of Fiverr sellers, stating that the sellers were writing fake reviews on Amazon. Really? So maybe it's like I came in with some Amazon product and I was like, all right, I need you to go to my competitor's product and just write a bunch of fake reviews. Yeah, maybe, is that weird. what Fiverr, <laughs> that was just driving yeah. Fiverr's top line? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure, but uh, I wouldn't want to go up against legally against Amazon. I think they have a thousand lawyers on staff. Yeah. And they uh, IPO'd in 2019. Since then, I believe the stock's done really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, Brett, you want to hit on the industry? Yeah, industry and competition. So according to their 20F, uh, which is basically their 10K since they're a international company, they do traditional outsourcing companies will be their uh, competition. And then another type of company that would be online, which is Upwork and TaskRabbit. Those are the two larger ones. Upwork is significantly larger than Fiverr, but they're growing less quickly. They're both growing. Um, They have a nice tailwind right now, but yeah, basically anyone that provides freelance services or specialized businesses that do developing work that make you know, graphic design, things like that. They're competing with Fiverr, but in a different manner. Um, like I mentioned, Upwork is the largest competitor and has over double the revenue that Fiverr has currently. But weirdly, Fiverr trades at a way higher valuation just because of the sales multiple. Um, apparently this makes, so I guess Fiverr is more for smaller stuff. And that's kind of what they found their niche, you know, Fiverr in the name, it's only for five bucks and Upwork is more for large organizations, although they are cross competing. Now the industry is booming. Uh, There's 57 million freelancers in the United States. And it seems like 2020 was kind of a perfect cocktail where you had a bunch of people getting laid off. And the fact that a lot of people had to conduct their business online, that's just a great tailwind uh, for anyone that's doing this stuff, Fiverr, especially, you know, 70% of these freelancers are working on two or more projects at one time. So you can do it all through Fiverr. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it. Is Upwork public? Upwork is public. We actually went over them. One of our first companies ever we went over, um, huh. they haven't done as well as Fiverr uh, and the growth perspective. I actually didn't like the site that much, but that's just on a personal perspective. Okay. Ian, what about you? Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on the site there, Brett. It wasn't wasn't that impressive on Upwork. But yeah. Um, so yeah, like Ryan mentioned, the CEO and co-founder was Mika Kaufman. Um, he's still the CEO. He's taking the co- company public and expect him to be the CEO for years to come. Um, one of the interesting things from kind of reviewing some of what he said and what um, kind of some of the shareholder letters and interviews is he says the primary competitor is the offline market. He's not too worried about... Um, places like Upwork and TaskRabbit. He thinks there's plenty of market share to go around. And really it's about converting people who are doing, you know, he estimates, and this was before COVID, but that 95%-ish of freelance work was done offline. And he's like, we can just attack that market, try and bring in some of that 95%. We don't worry if the other people are also getting some of that market. Um, He also, one interesting kind of note is that there were some questions around the IPO, whether... Fiverr would admit, would eventually become entangled in the same types of developments that um, the same types of legal battles that Uber and Lyft have become um, involved with surrounding this idea of freelancers versus employees. And he's tried to make it clear that people on um, Fiverr really aren't employees, that it's 
clearly a freelance because they're setting their own rate, they're setting their own times, all that type of stuff. Um, even even less employee-like than some of the Uber and Lyft um, freelancers. And they're not, so, yeah, so they're not pretend freelancers. They actually are freelancers. They actually are freelancers. Yeah, exactly. And they're also self-proclaimed freelancers. Like yeah. they come there as a freelance developer or whatever. Like, so it's not like it's the company that's calling them freelancers. Like they're doing it themselves. Right. And another big piece of that is that they let them set their own prices. Like with Uber, Uber drivers, they're subject to whatever the surge pricing is. They don't get to choose their own prices. Freelancers, they get to say what they want to do and when they want to do it and at what price they want to do it. So it really does seem like uh, Fiverr. Fiverr is really about freelancers and it's really just a platform. Um, some of their initiatives that they've highlighted in their investor to letters are bringing new buyers onto the platform, going up market with some Fiverr business, like you were mentioning, Brett. And is that that's um, the competition with Upwork, correct? That's correct. Okay. They would they would like to. It's kind of interesting. We may dive into this later, but they they're building out a platform. And they just launched it in September, where they um, kind of allow companies to create portals on Fiverr that allow them, like let's say you know the three of us were you know running a business where we needed a um, we needed a new logo. All three of us could set our budget on our Fiverr business platform. And then we could have discussions and pick out artists and make purchases from those artists on the platform without having to go through other um, environments uh, in other systems in our own business. And so it tries to kind of take that whole process and bring it on to Fiverr business and um, kind of lets, lets businesses really choose the freelance work they need through Fiverr. Hmm. They're also looking to expand their gig catalog, innovate their technology and services and expand their geographic footprint. Um, the ownership side of it, they have about 20% insider ownership. About half of that is from a member of the board of directors who is named Jonathan Kolber, who is an Israeli investor in a lot of um, tech startups. Um, about 5% is from the CEO. And the large proportion of shareholders are actually from earlier investments, like Ryan was mentioning. Um, there's also an investment from Qubit Investments. So there's, there's um, a lot of kind of private equity growth capital, venture capital in this business that still remains in this business. You have some right. thoughts on valuation, Brett? Yeah, I'll get to the valuation. Keep it quick. Uh, since they're highly unprofitable, there's not much to go off here, but they have an enterprise value of about $5.3 billion. Ticker is FVRR. And then the stock price as of recording was about $158.01. Uh, EV to sales is, as everyone may be disappointed, 38. Uh, it's high. And their margin adjusted EV to sales, which is the internal number we like to do for unprofitable companies is 58, which isn't terrible, uh, but you got to look at that sales and marketing spend. We'll get to that later, I bet. And Ryan will probably get to that next. Yeah. Uh, so 58 on that, that just means that we take the enterprise value and then divide the gross profit or sorry, gross margin, and then also divide the latest sales growth. So as you can see, you know, they're growing fast, um, but again, they're not profitable yet. Yeah, they... Yeah, they're like break even. So even I think they had it was uh, 5.2 million in operating cash flow for the quarter, positive 5.2 million. 
but right. if you put a multiple on that, it'd sound it's terrible. Just, yeah, like it would yeah. set like, oh, you have a million times priced operating cash flow. Like it's not the way to it's, uh, evaluate them. It's essentially break even. So um, in the second quarter, Fiverr had 47.1 million in revenue up 82% year over year. Uh, they have 83.1% gross margins. They had a $0.1 million net loss. So they're basically break even, like we said, 5.2 million in operating cash flow for the quarter versus last year of negative 3.4 million in operating cash flow. Um, active buyers on Fiverr for the quarter was up, or was 2.8 million. That was up 28% year over year. And the spend per buyer was $184. That's up 18% year over year. Like I said, spend per buyer of $184. Think about that. That's, that's a small amount. That's basically your, mm -hmm. is that, is that like the uh, freelance equivalent of ARPU. Yes, definitely. And so like you're thinking about that, if you're building out a business and you're only spend a, spending $180, this, these are not the big accounts. These aren't like huge businesses. They're probably startups um, or bloggers or people that want a logo. Like Ian said, it's the smaller businesses. Um, they said they had a cumulative 27% take rate. Last year it was 26%. That is surprising to me that more people are coming to Fiverr and their take rate is still going up. Like 27% yeah. is really high. So there must be a really compelling value prop on both sides of the marketplace. Um, sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue was 47% versus 57% a year ago. So they, I mean, they were boosted in large part due to COVID, but the quarter looked good. And if this is more of a acceleration of the inevitable as a pair, as opposed to a temporary shift, there's a lot of positive signs for the future. Yeah, that all sounds great. Um, I'm going to dive into the balance sheet and liquidity. Um, as I like it, at least the balance sheet was um, fairly boring. They've got $170 million in cash and marketable securities. Um, they recently had a secondary offering of about 120 million, which boosted their cash balance. No significant debt, current ratio of about 2.48, um, which is due to a large cash, cash position. If you take out the cash, it gives it a current ratio of about 0.75. And so assuming that they're going to use that cash to invest in the business, potentially um, buy other businesses, things of that nature, their current ratio is pretty good. Um, like we've been talking about, they're operating cash flow positive and free cash flow positive. So we shouldn't, I, I wouldn't expect that they're going to have to raise significant funds unless they're doing some sort of, um, you know, significant, ex significant expansion or acquisitions that they just want some extra cash in the balance sheet for. And, and if they, w I would not be opposed if I were a shareholder to them really just throwing a whole bunch of capital at it and trying to ride this COVID tailwind and market themselves, especially because so many people are coming to the marketplace now, I, that would not be a problem for me. And especially if they can constantly raise at the current valuation, yeah, that's not, that, that would not be an issue for me. So I wouldn't even, I really wouldn't even expect cash flow positive numbers for the next year, even if they're doing really, really well. Cause I'm sure they're going to be like, let's ramp up spending. Yeah. They got to take advantage of that uh, share price. I mean, you know, yeah. a lot of companies don't do that and they kind of just disregard it like, Oh, we got a high valuation, whatever. I mean, no, you can use it as a currency and uh, make some acquisitions or do another share offering, which does dilute shareholders. But I mean, it's in the long run, long-term best interest for that business.
All right, welcome back. We're going to hit the second half of the show here, go further into the analysis here. First up is competitive advantages. Uh, I'll start with Ian. What do you think? Does uh, Fiverr, I'm going to get it right, I'm not going to get it wrong, does Fiverr have any competitive advantages? One competitive advantage that we can have an argument about is data. Um, with all the transactions they're doing, arguably they have the most um, you know, experience and data on what it means to have a um, service as a product, as I've talked about, and what it means to exchange these freelance gigs, um, what, what drives them, all that type of stuff. It's also probably not sustainable um, unless they continue to grow at the pace they're at. The advantage, you know, other people, other, other companies, other people will learn how to do this. It's not going to be um, a long lasting sustainable advantage. There's a lot of interesting um, insights out there about whether data can be a sustainable advantage. I'd check out, um, there's a Harvard Business Review article if you want to learn a little bit more about it. But what do you guys think about data? Do you ever consider that a I mean, competitive I, advantage? I, more access to, to more data is always good. But I'm, yeah, maybe, not all the time. I guess. Sometimes it can bog you down. But are they running like way more transactions than Upwork? I mean, is that really a huge um, advantage versus some of their competitors? I would say that it's not... I don't know. They may have an advantage where they can see where the puck's going and they can say like, all right, there's a lot of demand here. We can build products here, stuff like that. They're seeing what, how people are using their platform and um, people can't see that from the outside, but from a just strictly, all right, we got a lot of data. It's going to help us. Uh, I don't know. What and, are you going to do? And it's not like Upwork isn't getting the same type, uh, stuff, yeah. type of data. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. The only, the only argument would be that just the way that, um, Fiverr is focusing on those smaller transactions and focusing on the, the service as a product. That's the thing they talk about a lot that they help people design their services as a product, mm -hmm. um, that they might be learning more about. They have more micro transactions than, than Upwork does where, like you said, Upwork's a little more job-based again, not a very strong advantage if it is one. Yeah. I, and I, I think so I'll move into my competitive advantage, which I, I do think they have little to no moat, but I, I guess because of the business model they run, buyers get more sort of trust and oversight into who they work with than you would with like an Upwork. So it's kind of like, it's, it's like the Stitch Fix versus Amazon or Stitch Fix versus going into the store, right? If you go into the store, this is the, uh, this is Fiverr would be going into the store. You can go, you can look at what you want and you can pick. Stitch fix, you're going to get, you're going to put a job up. This is the Upwork. You're going to put a job up and you're going to get a whole bunch of offers. It's going to be closed shipped to you. Mm -hmm. It's basically what, I don't know. I, I would prefer the Fiverr model where as a buyer, you get to go in there and handpick who you want. Yeah. I think it works better for the freelance work because you know what you want. You can't, you don't want to have just a bunch of inbounds. You just want to pick one person um, and make it easily searchable. And that's what yeah. they say is that they want to reduce all the friction within that transaction. What about you? Any uh, competitive advantages? Yeah. I mean, I think that two-sided marketplace may work here. So that's another way to talk about network effects with digital businesses. So the more supply they have, the more of the demand they're going to get. And then those work in tandem where, you know, people know that they're going to be able to have, um, they're going to be able to find freelancers on Fiverr and then freelancers know they're going to be able to get work if they're on the Fiverr platform. I think that is a slight advantage but it's not as strong as a classic one like 
Hmm, I don't know. I mean, Spotify always comes to mind with that one. Yeah. All um, right. Future growth opportunities. Who we're going to choose first? Ryan. Okay. I'll, yeah, I'll go first. I, I think this is a chance to ramp up their marketing. And I, I think they can take a spin on it, like how brands market through influencers. And I know that sounds cliche, but they are really targeting startups and they're yeah. targeting a lot of the people that maybe they got big on Instagram or YouTube and now they're building a website or they're building some sort of brand or merchandise around them and they want a logo. They can, if they can partner with influencers on Instagram or YouTube and they can be like Fiverr, that's how I got all my work done. That's how a bunch of, I was able to build my business, that kind of thing. I think they can really uh, ex- accelerate the volume of transactions that goes on on the platform. Yeah, it seems like, They've been able to do that at least this summer. Maybe it's just the COVID tailwind, but uh, that revenue growth, they did spend what, like over 50% of their revenue on marketing in the prior year, but that did contribute to the 80% growth this year. The other one that I didn't see that was, uh, that neither one of you have written down here was uh, promoted, promoting your uh, services as a seller. I mean, that would, that would make sense. That's another way to generate revenue for them is mm-hmm. sellers really want work. They can promote their services and pay to do so. Yeah, Ian, you've researched this more. Do you think Fiverr has an opportunity to do promoted listings that kind of have an advertising-based business model on there? They, ha- I think they've they started. do have that. Yeah, they, they have They have started it. Um, and they were just, I was just reading their most recent shareholder letter and they're excited about it. They've um, reworked it a little bit to make it, more attractive to the sellers and sellers seem to really be enjoying it. And it's an obvious, it's an obvious play for them because they're just trying to connect people who, you know, the best sellers with the best buyers. And so it's really a, an obvious place for them to go. Okay. Um, all right, Ian, what's your future growth opportunity? Yeah. So my future growth opportunity is expanding the geographic footprint. And that's something that they've talked about a little bit and they've started to do. Um, the idea behind it is connecting sellers around the world is just better for everybody because if you can get a graphic designer from anywhere in the world, there's the chances of finding someone who's better are just greater, right? Your talent pool is larger. um, And, you know, it's this globalized economy that we're living in. So the more they can do that, the better, Um, the better the marketplace becomes, the stickier it becomes, all those types of things. The problem is that they've started to encounter is the language barrier. Um, And so they've started to try out a few new language specific sites, specifically in uh, German, Spanish, French. Um, They also launched sites in the Netherlands and Italy that are focused on those countries. And so instead of just having one Fiverr site for the entire world, they're trying to specialize a little bit while still maintaining that um, global talent pool. Right. That is a big issue is the language barrier because you have to communicate. Um, yeah, I guess they'll have to solve that somehow. It's going to take a little bit of investment. What's your future growth opportunity? Uh, mine's one we've already discussed, but slowly eating Upwork's business. Um, they make a lot of inferences to this on the SEC filings to talk about it on the uh, conference calls. I think they have a quote here, you know, you know, their path to up market. They say that they need supply and demand in the marketplace, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, if you read the conference calls, you know they talk about this a ton. And I think a good number to look at for that is their ARPU number, which is whatever the average price or not price, average dollar spent per buyer. If that slowly increases, which it has, I think it was down to like a hundred bucks in 2013 or like six, seven years ago. And now it's up to what, 180, uh, which is good. Yeah. And I think there's a ton of room to run there if you think about how much money people are actually spending. 
um, if they get those larger businesses that are spending a few thousand bucks, I mean, that can, you know, continually grow and contribute a lot to the revenue growth. All right. Um, yeah. And they did mention that 55%, I don't know if you just said this, but 55% of their revenue, I believe comes from the accounts that are spending more than $500. Right. That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Highlights and lowlights. What do you have? Uh, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, I like their cohort number growth. They seem sustainable stuff there. And it's kind of just accelerating, you know, those charts with all the different colors and then the, you know, what ones are growing faster and stuff. Everyone has that in their S1s and uh, 10Ks. I think they have impressive ARPU growth, which again, is just the different, they have a different metric name for that. I think they do have a massive tailwind that should occur over the next few years here. Maybe it'll decelerate a little bit um, because it was just kind of the perfect storm this summer. Uh, but I still think it's going to be good. Low lights, though, I see no real competitive advantage out of them being, uh, you know, decent two-sided marketplace, maybe having some network effects. And then their spending on sales and marketing is a concern if because that means that you have to think they're going to be able to grow revenue, you know, at a higher rate than that in the future. And it's just, it's a high amount of spend. Um, and you're kind of priced in, all right, they got to keep up the sales growth for the next few years here. It did come down pretty fast though. And I, I think yeah. that is a testament sometimes you see like these really massive boosts. We saw this with COVID. You see a really quick boost and all of a sudden they're more profitable. I think they said they were uh, cash flow positive two years earlier than they were expecting to be. So it's like, that is a good problem to have. Like, oh shit, we're really profitable. Like this is a good business at scale. And so Mm -hmm. I think they can have tremendous operating margins at scale. I like the rating system as well. So that allows buyers to filter out the type of quality they're getting. And uh, it incentives, it incentivizes better work on the seller side as well. Kind of like the whole Amazon seller type thing. Um, low lights for me though, the, I think the world's moving to like a no code, like no code businesses, yeah. you know, like Shopify, like more and more people in even people are building businesses on YouTube or WordPress requires no code. Essentially. I think at, a lot of stuff's moving that. And yeah, you need the occasional upkeep from developers on your sites, but the more you can do to alleviate having to develop at all, it just, it feels like that's a major tailwind that's or major headwind for uh, Fiverr. I mean, yeah, I think that's going to happen really slowly though. There's not going to be zero freelance jobs overnight. Um, there's not going to be no right. work overnight. You know, computers aren't going to be able to do everything for, whatever people want to do, especially in things that are creative. Um, so I'd counter with that. Think for Maybe. me, yeah, like developers are always going to exist, but you either are going to have these startup businesses that are able to do everything through no code, or you're going to have bigger businesses that are just going to be hiring developers and having them build it in-house. It feels like they're going both ways. And that's, that's basically parting away from Fiverr on both Maybe. sides. Maybe. I, I guess I haven't really thought about it. Ian, do you have any yeah, I was just going to say, I think that's that's part of the reason that they're going after this Fiverr business idea is they really have to move upstream and, and capture that business spend and make it make sense for businesses instead of hiring those developer teams to say, yeah, we'll set our Fiverr budget at you know $10,000 a month and we'll just hire our developers through there. Yeah. Um, if they can do that, then I think they've got a good business here. If not, it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a struggle. Yeah. Um, a few of my highlights... Are, I think the product just makes sense, for, at least as it currently is. It saves people time. Um, they can find sellers real fast for, you know, like we said, if you just need a logo real quick, you can find someone on Fiverr for, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks and get your logo made. 
Um, it also has this inter interesting flywheel effect that the more quality demand there is, the more quality supply there, there will be, which then means that there'll be more quality demand because, you know, if there's more, there are more good sellers on the platform, there's going to be more buyers who want it, which then is going to cause more sellers to join the platform. So if they can continu continue growing both their sellers and their buyers, it's going to be a great business. Um, the, the big thing I'm worried about in my lowlights is it's a classic kind of Jeff Bezos, um, your margin is my opportunity situation. Like you were mentioning, they're taking about 27% of, yeah. um, you know, the transactions. And so it's just a, it seems like a big margin to me. I, I used to sell some things on eBay when I was in high school and at the most it was, you know, 10 to 15% take rate for basically something that's the eBay of services. So, um, at a 27% take rate, I just have to imagine that between the competition is more and more people move online instead of offline it's just going to drive that margin down for Fiverr. And that's something they're going to have to scale fast to make sure that that margin compression doesn't hurt them too bad. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be margin pressure. I mean, well, I think that's a, it's a likely risk that that could happen. You're just mortgaging your relationship with the stakeholders or the users on your platform at a 27% take rate. Like it's just, you're just, it's a higher risk. Yeah. You're just way, you're essentially saying like, go find something better. Like, mm -hmm. Because if you, un unless you start to drop that down and the other part was they were bragging about it on their conference call that they were able to bring their take rate up. I'm like, the, the, the good thing would be if the take rate is coming down and your profits are still increasing. Well, that's kind of tough to do. I mean, I don't mind them bragging to investors that that's happening, but the thing is you have to provide, if your take rate is going to be high like this, you have to provide enough value and yeah. who knows if they are, you know. Right, you're, you're just asking for someone you're just asking for someone to try and go around it, you know, just Venmo me on the side, right? Let's not right, use, right. let's not use Upwork, find my Upwork profile and Venmo me on the side, right? Yeah, right. Um, Same thing could happen with uh, Fiverr. All right, last question before yeah. we wrap up. We do this every time. Are we more interested or less interested in Fiverr after today? Who wants to go first? Ian? Yeah. Sure, I'll start. It's hard for me to say I'm ever less interested in a business, especially as long as it doesn't have any major red flags. I think for me, um, I'm definitely more interested. It's It's got you know, an impressive take rate, like we've been talking about and some impressive growth with the COVID tailwind. So I'm, I'm more interested. Okay. I honestly hadn't heard of Fiverr until Ian said, let's do this as a show. So, um, I guess I'm more interested because it's the first time looking at it, but as far as the business goes, anytime that I have low conviction or any concerns at all, and the multiple, the sales multiple is in the high thirties, I, it's like an easy write-off for me because it, it's a struggle, even if I have ultimately high conviction and it's a high multiple. So I'm just, it's, it's a no-go for me. Yeah. I mean, this one I'm interested, I guess it puts, it's going to be on the watch list. Maybe, um, maybe one of those fringe ones where I'm, you know, you just check the price every once in a while, but uh, I mean, I'd get interested in this thing was trading at like a sales multiple of 10 um, and maybe the growth is going to be there and they will get to the sales multiple of 10 eventually. But I really think with their marketing spend and the take rate pressure that their future operating margins and cash flow margins aren't going to be as strong as people may be pricing in and an EVA sales of, I mean, 38 is a lot. So, yeah. yeah. All right. We good. Yep. That's going to do it. Thank you guys for listening. As always, remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. You can find Ian on Twitter at Ian Gray Live, correct? 
That's right. You can contact us at chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com for any show suggestions. You can subscribe on YouTube and you can subscribe on Spotify and you can also go on to... Yeah. You can see Ian's new background every you can time. See, I think yeah. he's going to do like a new background every show yeah, for that's us. that's great. Subscribe <laughs> to the YouTube specifically for that. All right. That's going to do it. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.